What's up guys? Hope you guys are having a great day today and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzetti program. You know, if you're new to the show, you know, what we talk about here is financial freedom and economics. And the main reason for that is that, you know, I truly believe and I and I hope that you do too that ultimately the world is not quite as stable as we all would like to believe that it is and that we all hope that it would be. And in the end, we need to become financially free by controlling the source of our income so that we can avoid the things that we see down the road via economics. And this is ultimately the whole crux of the show. Now, granted, we talk about a whole host of other things, but those are ultimately the main things that we talk about, financial freedom and economics, and that is the whole purpose of the show. Now, one of the reasons I started this show was because, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts from the Wealth, Power, and Influence podcast with Jason Stapleton and the Tom Woods show along, you know, among many others. And one of the things I just came to realize was that, man, I need to start a podcast too. Their message is beautiful. Their message is amazing. And I wanted to put my own spin on the whole thing. So I decided to start my own podcast so I could do a, a similar message, but one that had me at the core of it and was ultimately you know, spun in the manner that I desired. That said, though, you know, I wanted to talk today about... This, the second stimulus package that we have confirmed is now going to be coming to your bank account. So they're going to be doing a second, a second stimulus package. And unfortunately, what's really going to happen is it's going to go straight back to the rich and the wealthy. We kind of talked about this in previous episodes of what causes wealth inequality. And ultimately, it's so number one, it's inflation. Number two, it's the fact that, you know, the poor don't know how to make money. They don't know how to attract them. But more importantly, they don't know how to save and control their their, their spending, their finances. So ultimately, whatever money they get, they, they spend on consumer products. And the rich and the wealthy are the ones who create those consumer products. So they end up spending the vast majority of money that they have and, it go, and that money goes right back to the rich and the wealthy. And we talked about how this is the main reason why it doesn't really matter, you know, what how much money you give the poor. And when we talk about the poor, I think it's important to state this, that we're not talking about people who don't have a lot of money, right? You know, on this show, I make a very, very, very large distinction between being broke and being poor. Being broke means you don't have a lot of money, but you have the appropriate mindset to where you can fix that. Whereas being poor doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of money. Usually being poor does coincide with that, but being poor means that you don't have a very good mindset. You tend to think that you're, that everything that goes wrong in your life is, an, is due to some external factor. You don't take self-responsibility for your actions. 
You spend the vast majority of money that you make. I mean, there are very wealthy, there are very rich people out there who I would consider have a poverty mentality that are ultimately poor. They're not, they don't have a wealthy mentality, an abundance mindset, if you will. You know, the wealthy mentality that I like to talk about, again, having, being wealthy doesn't mean that you have a lot of money, although it tends to coincide with that. Being wealthy tends to mean that you just you have the mindset necessary to become rich. Being rich is what is when you have a lot of money, okay? So I think it's very important to make those distinctions. But, you know, ultimately, no matter how much money you give to the poor, you know, the people who don't have the, the, the right healthy mindset, the people who do struggle to hold on with their money, uh, no matter how much money you give them, it's not going to matter. They're going to spend it all anyways. They don't appreciate it, A. They didn't earn it. They don't know how to attract it. And ultimately, they spend every dime that they make, or at least most of it. And that's not just on expenses, okay? It's not like their expenses are so astronomically higher than any other normal person. I mean, everyone has expenses in their life. That's no excuse to spend every dime that you make. The fact is, is they go off and they spend it on on clothing, but really nice clothing that they don't shouldn't really be buying because they don't really they can't really afford it. You know, they 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 go off and they buy cars and all kinds of stuff. So the poor people ultimately they have this this victim mentality, they have this mentality where they just spend everything that they make and yeah, it doesn't end well for them. And the sad thing is, is that they really have no one else to blame but themselves for the predicament that they're in. I actually know people that are like this. I think we all do in our lives. You know, I have loved ones in my life that are like this. They they think they have very little money, yet they think they deserve, because they've been through such a hard time, that they deserve to go on vacation or that they deserve to go buy a, a BMW, yet they can barely survive. Yet they don't have a job. Or there's one job in the family and that job barely pays anything. See, the fact of the matter is, is that these people are poor and because they haven't really properly been educated and pro possibly, I would say, because they also just don't care. They don't care. Many of them. Even if you were to appropriately educate them, you know, they're so emotionally, financially stunted. Their financial growth has been so emotionally stunted that even if you were to come out to them and tell them the truth, they would get angry with you. They wouldn't be happy or grateful. No, no, no. They'd get angry. And really, they wouldn't listen anyways. So maybe they would adjust their life a little bit, but for the most part, they're going to continue to live their life the way that they were before being lazy bums who ultimately don't control their finances whatsoever and justify spending every freaking dime that they make on frivolous things, thus giving their money right back to the rich and the wealthy and never getting anywhere in their life. Of course, like I said, they're poor, so they have that poverty mentality. They blame all of this on other external factors, maybe on other people. Maybe they blame all of it on the fact that, well, you know, I just could never get a good job because those greedy, you know, business owners wouldn't give me a job or, or, or what have you. They sit around, they whine and they complain about how expensive life is and how they never have enough money to get ahead. And yet every dime that they make, they don't even manage it right. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It is my held belief Yeah, for those of you who, who are new to the show, you know, I, I am a Christian. 
Granted, I, I don't talk about it that much on the show, but I am a Christian, and I firmly believe that there is a, a there is a correlation between how you manage your money and how much money you end up making in your life. And the ultimate reason for this, and I, and I want to do a podcast episode on this, I just haven't gotten around to doing it, but um, and I'm just going to briefly cover this and we're going to get back into the stimulus packages and ultimately what they mean for our economy. But the ultimate reason behind all this is I've, everything that we have is a blessing from God, right? It's a blessing from Jesus, okay? So every single time you misuse your money, that is a sign to God that you're not managing his blessings right. Everything we have, whether it's family members, whether it's our children, you know, whether it's our cars, our houses, our, our pets, whatever it is, everything is a blessing from God. And he has put us in charge of those blessings. We are not, we do not own those things. Those are not ours. He has given them to us to manage and be a steward of. Now, granted, we don't always manage our money right. We don't always manage our blessings right because we're sinful people and that's going to happen. We're not always going to manage them right. But I believe that God gives you more and more based off of how well you manage what you have. Family, friends, house, car, money, you name it, whatever it is, website, <laughs> computers, you know, food. I mean, whatever, video games, whatever God has, has blessed us with, I feel that ultimately, if we manage it right and we manage it well, according to what we believe his will is, right? If we manage it all well, then I believe personally that he will bless us with more. And not necessarily saying more money. This is not a, a message of, you know... If you become a Christian, God will make you rich. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, no, there's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee of that anywhere and anywhere at all. There is no guarantee of that. The fact remains is that there is no guarantee that you're going to be rich and wealthy. But why is it that, that evil people are rich and wealthy? And why is it that good people are not? How is there are good people and bad people who are both rich and wealthy. And then there are good people and bad people who are also poor and, and broke. So it, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with whether you are a Christian or not. I think it has to do with, are you willing to do what is necessary? Are you willing to put in the hard work? Are you willing to pursue it? And I think God actually recognizes your hard work. God actually sees that. He sees how you're managing your current blessings and, and you know, so on and so forth, right? You know, that said, though, I'm trying to actually remember where I was going with that, but I actually believe that everything we have is a blessing from God, and the, and the more we manage it, the better we manage it, ultimately, I think he will continue to bless us with more. Now, I don't know for sure. I don't know if that is a hard and fast rule. I would say it's probably not. But that's how I, I, I typically feel about it. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible says that, okay? I am saying that the Bible does say that everything we have is a blessing from, from God and that we should manage it appropriately. The Bible does say that. But what, does the Bible say that if you manage it appropriately and well, I will give you more? Well, 
you know, I'll be completely honest, I don't know every single thing the Bible says. I have a tendency to think that the Bible may or may not say that. Uh, I, I would I would think it probably doesn't come out and say it quite in that way. Or it may not come out and say that at all. I'm just saying this is generally how I feel. This is from my own observations. This is overall what I have come to notice in my life. That said, let's get back to the topic at hand. And we'll do another video on that for those of you guys who are interested. Um, I'm going to do a video on it regardless of who's interested because I think it's a very, very good topic to talk about. But that, that said, though, let's get back into the topic at hand. The topic at hand is that we have confirmed they have come out and said, yes, there's going to be a stimulus package, but we're not really sure how much. Well, the, the, well, the Democrats want, you know, $3 trillion. Well, the, the Republicans want $1.3 or whatever the number is. And it's like, well, one of them wants a lot of money, and the other one wants, well, we don't really want that much, but we still want a lot, right? And it's important to keep in mind that it's going to have negative consequences either way. So there's actually a few statistics here that I, I would like to really talk about because I think they're it's incredibly important. Some of this not some of this information is actually coming to you from thehill.com and some of this information is coming to you from the Wealth Power and Influence podcast with Jason Stapleton. So th there are different uh, resources that I'm drawing from and uh, and some of the stuff I actually took directly from his podcast because I thought it was excellent. And it was very, very well said, okay? But ultimately, it, it will have negative consequences for the entire nation if this continues to happen in the form of price inflation. But we'll get into that here in a bit. But I think it's really important that you guys keep in mind that in just the last two months, the federal fiscal year, the deficit run up by our government has exceeded 1.3 trillion in just a couple of months. That's insane. 1.3 trillion people were were flipping out when it was less money. The last the last crisis at around 2008. Everyone was flipping the heck out saying, "Oh man, it's it's going to we're going to see hyperinflation and all this kind of stuff which we never did, by the way." Um and th th there are reasons for that, but for the most part, you know, the main reason is that most of the, the, the inflation was, has been kept primarily internationally and also in our markets, like our stock markets and stuff of that nature, and our bond markets and things and places like there. That's where the bulk of the money has really, the, the bulk of the inflation has really been kept into. You, you also see a lot of the inflation has gone into the, the real estate market, and uh, you do see it in consumer goods, but not quite anywhere near to the same extent. You, you largely when we're talking about hyperinflation, price inflation, you don't see it in consumer goods unless the money is being given to the actual people who are going off to the grocery store and spending it. And a lot of times when quantitative easing was around in 2008, the money wasn't given directly to the people via helicopter money. The money was given to the people via, well, actually it wasn't really given to the people at all. The money was actually given to you know, businesses for the most part it was it was it was it was given to businesses in, in places like that, so or institutions like that. So a lot of that money really took a long time to trickle its way, quote unquote, down to the people, the everyday people. By the time everybody else got access to that money, you know, I mean, a 
it wasn't valuable anymore, or it wasn't anywhere near as valuable when it when that money was initially created. B, the money, and they ended up giving the money right back to the rich and the wealthy anyways. But that being said, though, to give some context to the size of this massive, massive spending is that these two months of deficits have exceeded, by a factor of three, the largest annual deficit generated by George W. Bush and his presidency and his administration and blows past the largest annual deficit on record, which was done by President Barack Obama and his administration. Just let that sink in for a minute. It, it exceeded it by a factor of three. That's it. I, I don't. That that's a lot. Okay, you don't know a lot about math. J- just know that that's a lot. And it, it and under George Bush and Barack Obama, both of those president presidential administrations had some of the largest amount of government spending on record in the United States. Obama had more than Trump than than not Trump than Bush, right? And, and, and what you're going to see is that every single president, probably from here on out, just like George Bush and Obama, are probably going to increase spending over and over and over again. You see, if you start using inflation, when you start ginning up money out of thin air to start paying for things, the funny thing is, is that it requires more and more and more money every single time. Because the more money, as the money supply increases, it becomes less valuable, right? There's a lot more money going for, a, a, you know, the same amount of goods. The same amount of goods. So there's a ton of money going for a lot more demand for these goods. And because you have a lot more of anything, you know, because of the law of diminishing marginal utility, it ends up meaning that in a nutshell... And I have a very different opinion of what the actual standard definition of diminishing marginal utility actually means. I come at it from more of the Austrian economic perspective than the normal perspective of modern day economics. But that being said, whenever you have an increase in supply of anything, generally speaking, it, it tends to become less valuable. And, and the same is, is true for money. Right. So as you increase the money supply, other things become they become more valuable because the money isn't that valuable anymore. I mean, so you need more and more and more money printing to accomplish the same type of thing. So let's assume that they printed a couple billion, maybe one, you know, a couple billion dollars in the 2008 financial crisis. I don't exactly know the exact number, but let's say they did two billion. Let's say it was two billion. Okay. Which I'm, you know, again, I'm not saying that's the number. I I don't actually remember the number. I haven't gone up and looked at the the number, but it was was a lot of money, right? It was a lot more money than government has ever spent on any kind of financial crisis uh, for, for quite some time. That said, though, you know, let's assume that it was, you know, $2 billion. Well, the next time around, it's going to be like $4 billion, and then $6 billion, and then $12 billion. And then $24 billion, you know, it kind of like doubles almost every time. And it requires more and more printing to accomplish the same kind of things that less printing accomplished before. So that being said, just keep all of that in mind, okay? But it is exceeded by a factor of three in only the last two months. 
any deficit, it's exceeded any deficit ever been created by any president in a single year. Any president. In two months. Again, that, tying back to the principle that the more money you print to solve a problem, the more money it's going to take in the future to solve the same problem. You got to print more and you got to print more. It is a, this is an inflationary cycle that leads to the Austri Austrian business cycle theory, by the way, boom bust cycle. And, uh, well, the Austrian theory, uh, the Austrian, uh, business cycle theory really just explains the boom bust cycle. But that being said though, th this is just insanity, but this is what happens. You know, now we have a almost incomprehensible explosion, not only of the deficit spending in the federal government, but the Federal Reserve balance sheet as well, because of, you know the Federal Reserve is now going out and they're buying bonds um, on the on the bond market and whatnot. They're doing this. The Federal Reserve doesn't actually have the authority to do this, so they're actually operating. They're actually doing this by going through Black or BlackRock, a a uh, investing institution that is also buying these bonds and ETF bonds for them. You know, but but either way, even though the Federal Reserve does not have the authority to go off and buy these bonds directly. They are doing it indirectly, but you get the idea, right? They're finding ways to buy actual bonds, guys. What does that mean? Bond, bonds are debt that are issued by a business in the, for an interest rate. Basically, the business sees money. This is one of the ways they crowdfund that money. They offer you a, a bond, which is debt to the business. And ultimately what they do is they say, okay, we'll pay you back more money by the time the bond is over. We'll either pay back all in one lump sum. Usually I think the interest rate is paid out every year. But that being said though, the bond is just debt to the business. And it's just one way that businesses can crowdfund money, but they have to pay it back in the end. So they're giving money directly to businesses by buying these bonds. This is insanity. This is absolutely insane. It really, truly is. But even without further spending, our government is heading towards almost $4 trillion in deficit spending, accompanied by some near $10 trillion in financial infusion by the Federal Reserve. I mean, seriously, again, try to wrap your head about around that. On average, the federal budget is somewhere around $3.5 to $4 trillion, depending on the year. And of that three and a half to four trillion, we're typically running about a 600 to 800 billion dollar deficit. So almost a trillion of that four trillion dollars, that three and a half to four trillion dollars, is deficit spending. What that means is that 25% of what the government is spending, it doesn't have the money to actually spend. Think about that. I mean, that's insane. I, I know. Sorry. I, I know. I'm saying. Think about that over and over and over. But guys, that's literally insane. I mean, golly, 25% of the government spending today, or at least pro probably. Well, it's more so now. But 25% of the government's normal spending, it doesn't even have money to spend. 400 to 800, somewhere around 400 to 800 billion dollars, or, or uh, I said 600 to 800 billion dollars. Is, mo is money that they're spending over 
the amount. And that's going to get worse and worse as they continue to do this. They got to, they, they're effectively, the way that they do that is either they, they create more treasury bonds and treasury bills and the Federal Reserve buys those treasury bonds and treasury bills. And that's how they come up with the deficit. That's how they're able to actually exceed their tax revenue dollars. Okay. And basically, that, that's what that means. So if you guys are un, if you do not abla any of this kind of stuff, here's, here's what this means. A deficit spending is when you're spending more money than what you're bringing in in revenue. So let's say the government brings in in revenue, you know, $4 trillion, okay? And let's say that the, 800, the, the 600 to $800 billion dollars is deficit spending. What that means is that the, the, the $600, $800 billion is actually being spent above what the actual government is 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 making. So actually, um, the, 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 in this situation, I said, let's assume it's $4 trillion at the money that they're spending. That's the money they're spending. That's actually not the money that they're taking in. So let's assume, so if you were to look at this and you want to understand, subtract 600 to 800 billion dollars from the four trillion dollar deficit or from the four trillion dollar spending that they did because almost a trillion of that 400 of that four trillion is deficit spending so if you were to subtract it you would end up with depending on whether it's 600 billion or 800 billion or where it is it's either going to be 3.4 trillion dollars or 3.2 trillion dollars that they actually bring in in revenue. The extra 600 to 800 billion effectively is the deficit. How they acquire that money is they create treasury bond the treasury department creates treasury bonds and treasury bills because the federal reserve i know we talk about it all the time and we say things like the federal reserve is printing money. The federal reserve in effect that's what they're doing, but they don't actually have the authority to do that. So I mean, so what really happens is that the Federal Reserve is, uh, they print a whole bunch of numbers, ones and zeros on a computer, and they go off and they take those treasury bonds and treasury bills onto their balance sheet, effectively purchasing the treasury bond and the treasury bills on their balance sheet. And this artificially increases the money supply. Even though no money has honestly been created, it artificially increases the monetary supply in any one given nation that's doing this kind of uh, behavior. And different nations do it differently, but this is how our country does it. And that's how they're getting away with it. Now, there are other ways that they can increase the monetary supply and they can increase their spending. There are definitely other ways to doing that, but this is usually one of the most popular ways of doing it. That being said, let's continue on with what we were talking about. Now, if we look at what has happened just in the last several months since February, our federal government has tacked on an additional $4 trillion in deficit spending. That's $4 trillion that the government took and put out into our market, in, or into the market, into our economy. Then the Federal Reserve took another $10 trillion and gave it to the banks and other institutions in order to help keep them afloat. Remember when the Federal Reserve went to the banks and told them they were worried about them uh, being solvent, told them that they needed to hold a certain amount of reserves in order to, to make loans because, well, we don't want to have the banking system collapse. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much gone now. 
basically what they're saying now is forget about that. Loan everything out. Loan all everything you have. Don't hold any reserves anymore. That's more or less what they've said. They've told the banks, don't hold any more reserves. Throw it all away. Lend everything out that you have. Now, the only reason that they're able to do this is that they're telling the banks that, hey, if, well, if, if you run out of money, don't worry about it. We'll give you more. We'll give you more. You know, if you want more money, we'll give you more money to make sure that you're, quote unquote, solvent, right? But yeah, basically what they're saying is, is to effectively throw it away. This is not a positive thing, ladies and gentlemen. It isn't. None of this is. You know, a lot of you are probably thinking that there's a solution. In the end, there really isn't a whole lot in the way of a solution. Here, I'll put it this way. There are no good solutions to the problem. Because if the government didn't do this stuff, ultimately, mil millions more would be out of jobs. Okay, you would have probably rioting in the streets and not for social justice reasons. You'd probably have rioting in the street because nobody has a job. They can't survive. You know what this, all this money printing does is it makes everything more expensive to live. And now you don't have a job to provide, you know, to, to make money. This, if you don't print the money, and if you don't give it to businesses, and if you don't give it to people in the form of extra unemployment checks or, you know, sending checks to, to the people directly to their bank account or whether you are, you know, actually giving money such as the PPP loans or small business loans to, you know, companies and whatnot. I mean, if you don't do these types of things, and again, I'm not saying that they should be doing, I'm just saying if they didn't do them, more businesses would be underwater. More businesses would close. And I think this is eventually going to happen because if they continue to print and print and print, they will cause inflation this nation has never seen in the likes that this nation has never seen. I'm not saying it's hyperinflation, but they, they're, they're going to cause inflation. But again, now that I've kind of already somewhat answered that question, what do you think is going to happen with all that money? And once all that money starts to circulate again into the economy, after the virus, after the fears of the virus are, are, are over and everything, what do you think is going to happen with all that money? Like I already said, and I kind of ruined it by giving it away, but most of you, who, I mean, if, if you're familiar with economics, even in the basic sense, you should know what's going to happen. When all that money starts to circulate again, right now, there's a drop in demand. There, we had a supply side shock. Because, you know, China basically clammed up and, uh, you know, stopped all its manufacturing. Then we had a demand side shock because of all of the, you know, the virus and the fears of the virus, you know, now. And we're still in the throes of that demand side. We're still in the throes of all that. Demand has fallen. And I think demand has recovered a little bit, but it has not recovered anywhere near to the extent that it, that it was before the virus came around. Now, right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is that people aren't consuming nearly as much. You know, consumption is not the primary driver in an economy, but it is necessary. You do need it, but it is not the primary driver. I mean, it wouldn't really help or benefit anybody 
It wouldn't be a boon to anybody if everyone made all the money that they made and they just kept it in their mattresses and they never spent it all. In fact, if that was the case, you wouldn't have businesses at all. If there was no demand whatsoever, there wouldn't be a business. You wouldn't have a business. Nobody would have a business. Nobody would have anything. And we basically would all go back to subsistence farming again. And we'd become an agricultural uh, society where we all just farm our own food. We make our own homes. We'd have to satisfy our needs and our desires elsewhere. But look, that's not how society works. It's not how an economy works. That said, though, demand consumption does not drive the economy. It is savings and production that drives the economy. Okay, so just keep that in mind. But what, what, what ultimately is going to happen when the money circulates the economy or circulates into the economy? You're going to see price inflation. That's what's going to happen. You're going to see price inflation. That's what caught, that's, this is what's going to happen. And what is price inflation? Price inflation is the general rise in prices in an economy. Now, what causes price inflation, again, this goes back to a very, a, 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 a principle of economics, right? And what that principle of economics is, is monetary inflation. There's a difference between monetary inflation and price inflation. Monetary inflation is usually what is necessary for price inflation to occur. Now, there are instances in economics where you can have price inflation without monetary inflation. So, for example, um, if you were to have a, a hurricane hit your or come and hit your your um, your city, or l let's assume that l let's say this, okay, in Florida or Houston, we've had lots of hurricanes hit, and they've caused a massive amount of damage in the past. Well, when these hurricanes are told that they're coming, you start to see price inflation with regards to certain goods like bottled water, things like that. And you start to see the prices generally rise. Now, it's not rising with for every single product, okay? It's not rising for every single product, but it does rise. This is this, so and you can't really say that monetary inflation has occurred, although technically speaking, monetary inflation is, is occurring constant. It's a constant thing because ultimately, anytime you have a credit card, okay, and, and you're buying things with a credit card, that money is not, has not been saved. The bank does not have that money in cash reserves. The bulk of the credit card spending, revolving credit is what it's called, is actually an it, it artificially increases inflation. So if you are spending, if you're borrowing money to buy cars and homes in a tr with traditional loans, and you're but it, and you're also spending money via a credit card on consumer goods or whatever vacations, whatever whatever you're spending them on, that is called that is contributing to price inflation. Because you are effectively creating monetary inflation because the money doesn't actually exist that you're spending. The bank doesn't actually have that money. Again, it's all the Federal Reserve is backing them with federal with basically reserves from you know actual Federal Reserve notes from the Federal Reserve, but basically IOUs, if you will. Um, also, sometimes the Federal Reserve just gives them the money that they need. You know, types it in, types in ones and zero. Guys, it's important for you guys to, to know what the Federal Reserve is. The Federal Reserve is, is basically, it, it is a institution. It's not a government institution, despite the fact that it's named the Federal Reserve. It's not actually a government institution. It's a private institution. 
It, now, a lot of people think that it's um, that we need to bring it under you know con government control. I'm going to tell you, it is already heavily influenced by gov by, by politics and by government. And if you do that, you're going to make it worse. Ultimately, the only good solution is to get rid of it entirely. But that's not going to happen. Not until the whole country you know basically crashes and burns. It won't happen. The central bank is a very socialistic idea. It, it is socialism at the core of it because it controls the currency. It's socialistic governmental control of the currency. That's what it is. Now, for many of you who don't really understand what socialism truly is, you're going to think about that. You're like, that's not socialism. You think that socialism, you know, socialism is when we're redistributing wealth and we have wealth, you know, when we have programs where we st steal money from the rich and we give to the poor, you know, the whole Robin Hood type of stuff. Yeah, whatever. No, that's not socialism. That is one part of socialism, but that is not socialism. Socialism is the control of the economy of an entire nation from one central location, a government. Okay, it really is a term that has evolved over time. You know, the French during the during the time of the French Revolution, the French people believed uh, that it was really a system where you have uh, captains of industry, politicians, you know, war generals, you have you know scientists, you have everybody, you know, top high up intellectuals like professors, and they basically they all come together and they run the entire economy. That's more or less in a nutshell. That's how they viewed it. And, uh, you know, different, uh, di di basically, at different times, people viewed it differently. Today, people only think about it with regards to wealth redistribution. But what ends up, but that's not really what socialism is. Okay? That is a part of socialism, but that's not really what socialism is. Socialism is the central control of an economy, of a, gov of a country. Where the government ultimately mandates what you can and cannot do. This usually limits your options of what you can buy. This limits the quality of life. This normally destroys a nation, destroys an economy. History show, has shown us this time and time and time again. And you can come at me and you can say that we've never really truly had a socialist a fully socialistic society. You're absolutely right. We haven't really had a 100% socialistic society, nor have we ever had a 100% communistic society, nor have we ever had a 100% capitalist society. Capitalistic society. Every nation, every economy, every country in human history has had a hybrid of sorts. Has had a, um, a you know, you can't really, you see, here's the thing. You can't really ever have true socialism, communism, or true capitalism. You can't really have 100% one way or the other. I don't think you can because of human nature. Human nature gets involved in it and it mucks things up. These are beautiful ideas in theory, but human nature just prevents them from ever being feasible. Okay? And uh, we'll get into that in, 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 other ep in later episodes, but ultimately, you can't really ever have a 100% free trade type of situation because humans always want to control. We have this, this huge control complex where we have to control everything. So there's really no way, in my opinion, that we would ever have a 100% free market economy. And, and, and to know, what is capitalism? Capitalism is just you and me trading because it mutually benefits us. When you uh, get on Nextdoor or when you go to the Facebook marketplace or whatever and you say, hey, I want to sell this object or hey, I want to give this object away for free or hey, I want to trade this object for something else, that is capitalism. 
It's really, you know, we've attached a word to it, but it's really just the normal functioning of everyday human beings. It exists even in socialistic and communistic systems. Anytime that you trade for anything, whether you're trading money for a good or service, whether you are trading a product for another product, whether you are selling or buying, it doesn't matter. That is capitalism. That's what it is. It is the simple trade in goods, services, or, or time, money, whatever. It is, it, it, it's, it's you trading. That's all it is. And not trading in the sense of like stock trading or forex trading, but you trading goods, one good for another good. Or you trading your time for, for dollars. Or when we, are, when we engage in this kind of stuff, this is what capitalism is. Now, we can't ever truly have a socialistic society or a communistic society because ultimately the general idea is that the people end up controlling the economy. The workers, the people, they come out and they end up controlling the economy and telling the economy how it's going to run. What That doesn't ever happen. Ultimately, when you start to centralize power, you attract a ruling class of people. And they end up taking control of the entire economy. So anyways, that's a brief explanation of why uh, both of those can't exist. There's other reasons for it as well, in my opinion. But again, we'll have to get into that another time. But look, all of this money creation, money printing is going to have one result and one result only. And I I believe, firmly believe it's going to result in inflation. Because they incre- they engaged in monetary inflation by increasing the monetary supply, it's go- once that money gets circulated into the economy, it's going to cause price inflation. Again, in order to have price in order to have inflation, price inflation, you need two things. Two fundamental things have to happen. Monetary inflation, so the increase in the, in, in the supply of money, right? The increase in money, more money being created the increase in money, and the circulation of that money into the economy. People have to spend it. If you simply were to go out and create a whole bunch of money, billions upon billions or trillions of dollars, and then put it in a bank account or stuff it under your mattress, nothing would happen. It is the circulation of that economy or that money into the economy that causes price inflation. And like I've discussed before, price inflation isn't always caused by monetary inflation, but it is for the most part. Almost, almost, I mean, definitely in the 21st century, in any kind of modern day economy you look at today, when val- when valuations rise, you see, here's the thing: monetary inflation causes prices to price inflation on a on a permanent basis, right? I mean, there you may actually run into some economic calamity where uh, deflation occurs. Deflation is where the general uh, general prices in an economy start to actually go lower because they have to go lower because the and usually this is caused by a drop in demand. So when you see a drop in demand, prices have to go lower to entice consumption again, to entice demand again. And this is normally what ends up causing deflation, right? Uh, is is a drop in demand. And what causes price inflation is an increase in the demand, but you get the increase in demand by the increase of money. Now, again, when we're talking about situations where you have an increase in price, so you have a price inflation, but monetary inflation, technically speaking, hasn't occurred, right? There was some natural disaster that caused demand to spike. That is usually very short-lived, 
okay? It's very short-lived. And eventually, the prices will rise, will lower again to a more normalized level once everything gets back to normal. Once the hurricane is over, once the tornado is over. I mean, this act, and if you live in a state or a country where uh, the raising prices is illegal, they call it price gouging. Price gouging is something, by the way, that does not exist in economics. It is not an economic term. It is a term that was created by politicians to demonize the process of supply and demand, to demonize the economic law of supply and demand, basically, uh, in, in a situation of crisis. When emotions are high, politicians do everything they can to increase their power control and their own wealth. This is why politicians are the worst people to be in government, and yet they're the people that you're always going to have in government because it attracts the worst kind of people. But this is why they're always going to use crisis, other people's misfortune, in order to benefit themselves. They don't really care about the other person. They don't care that that person lost their house. You really think they care about that in the hurricane? No. The local politician, all they want to do is they want to tell business, local businesses, you're not allowed to raise your prices. If nothing else, power for the sake of power is intoxicating. Just being able to tell someone what they can and cannot do is intoxicating to these types of people. And as a result of that, they don't even have to necessarily have a financial incentive. They just may want to bully people around. They're terrible people. You should never trust them, ever. Never trust any politician. I don't care whether they even look like they're a good politician. There are only two politicians that I know of that I like. Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. And even then, I wouldn't trust them. They're politicians. They sell themselves... For votes. Any person who's willing to sell themselves for a vote, I, I wouldn't trust. I don't care how, how noble you think that person is. I don't care how good of a, of a person you think that person is. That person sells themselves for votes. That person is totally and completely a slave to public sentiment. They are, they are, willingly, it, it, they are willing to enslave themselves to the public. And, and in, in actuality, the public end up enslaving themselves to them. Because once the, the politicians start giving them benefits and things of that nature, the, the, the populace has to, they, they have to continue the narrative that, that, that is going. But, well, I, well in reality, though, um, politics is downstream from culture. So when uh, something in the culture changes, politics reverb, you know, reflects it. But there is a ruling class, and it, are, it is politicians. It's also... CEOs, captains of industry. It's also those types of people as well. And it's the people that are heads of, of governmental departments, stuff of that nature. We have in America is an oligarchy, actually. It's, it's not a republic. I mean, it is a republic uh, on, on paper. It's a democratically elected republic on paper. But in practice, what it really is, it's, a, it's an oligarchy. Captains of industry, big business owners... Big, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, people who are very, very wealthy, people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they get in bed with politicians. They enact laws and regulations that benefits themselves. They engage in rent-seeking. We've described that on the show before. But basically, they engage in rent-seeking. They, they, they 
enact regulations that make it impossible for competition to ever come into the economy to ever really put a challenge to their big corporation. And of course, naturally, the power brokers of today, our politicians, our bureaucrats, these types of, of politicians, they are more than eager to, to allow it to happen. But guys, look, I mean, look, we're really getting down a rabbit hole here. It's important to you, for you to understand what the effects of this money printing is going to cause. It's going to cause inflation. Like I said, you only need two, two things for price inflation to occur. You need monetary inflation. You need an increase in the monetary supply, and you need that money to circulate. You need people to spend it. So you need an increase in money, You need, and then you need people to go off and spend that money. That's how you get price inflation, okay? And here's the question I want to ask you. What are you doing to ensure that you're going to be okay, you're going to be safe, and that no matter how much price inflation occurs, you're not going to be negatively hurt. What are you doing? Because I'm going to be honest, if you, if you think that just holding your good job, if, if you are one of the fortunate ones to have been able to maintain a job during this crisis, if you are um, thinking that that job is going to save you, you're sadly mistaken. Wages, in most cases... I don't know, I'm not going to say always because I don't know if it always happens this way, but in most cases, wages lag behind inflation. Almost almost always. Wages lag behind inflation. Price, the general increase, uh, price inflation. So the general increase in prices is going to occur and your wages are not going to go up. So in effect, when the general increase in prices occurs and when price inflation occurs, you essentially are getting downgraded. You're not making any kind. You didn't get an increase in you didn't get an increase in your wage. You didn't get an increase in your salary. Which is really in reality is just a bribe to enslave you to ultimately, you know, give up on your dreams. But again, that's a, a, another podcast for another time. But the fact remains is that your salary, your wages, your bribe that they're giving you is absolutely not going to keep up with inflation. It will lag behind inflation. So life is going to get very hard for you. Life is going to get extremely hard for you because you can't control how much you're selling the product or service that your company is selling. You don't control it. You can't control how the company is managing itself. You don't own it. You can't, I mean, I, I, that sounds like an incredibly dis- depressing thing to say. In reality, it may be very offensive to many of you because many of you are probably going to be in this boat. But you can't, if you are relying on a business, somebody else to pay your wage, this is going to negatively impact you very badly. Over the years, you're going to see a continuation of your money not going nearly as far. Prices of everything are getting more expensive. Homes, rentals, apartments, you name it, whatever it is, they're going to get more expensive. You may actually see taxes rise as well, particularly in this case because they're not bringing in tax revenue because people aren't spending as much. Your local governments may actually see fit to actually raise taxes. I know this is happening already. 
in some states, in some areas. This is actually happening. It's going to get worse. So what are you doing? What are you doing to ensure that you and your family are safe and secure? Are you working on your own human capital? Are you growing your skills, making yourself so you know incredibly valuable to the business to where they give you a raise? Are you trying to control, take control of the source of your income and become financially free? As I said at the at the height of the show, this is the whole purpose of this podcast. To get you to become financially free by controlling the source of your income. That's what the whole podcast is about. Because when you control the source of your income, you are truly free. You can raise the prices of your product or services if necessary. You can lower them if necessary. You control what makes you money. That's what that means. It may sound like a lofty goal. Control the source of your income. It may sound like a really lofty goal. All it means is you control where your money is coming from. It's not coming from an employer. It's coming from you. You found a product. You found a service. You, you found something that people find value. And maybe it's just your, your opinions in a podcast like this one. Maybe people like that. So... Maybe they, um, maybe they decided to come to check you, you know, maybe people decided to give you money. doesn't matter. If you provide value for others and you can get paid doing it, you have learned to attract money to you. Now you control the source of your income. Well, you re- you, again, you only control the source of your income if you control the product or service. If you are a, uh, an influencer and you have an audience and people are paying you money, um, in reality, what's going to happen there is you're a business owner. You're not an entrepreneur. You don't control the source of your income. The source of your income is ad revenue. Somebody else controls that, not you. The business who decides to do the ads controls that. And if they decide they don't want to you know, spend money on ad revenue, well, then you're up a creek without a paddle. But here's the thing, you need to control the source of your income. If you control the product or service that you're selling, maybe it's a course, maybe it's uh, some kind of service, whatever, I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you know how to buy retail products in a store like Walmart, Target, and you know how to sell it for a profit on Amazon, a retail arbitrage, whatever, whatever it is, there's a million and one ways to make money in the 21st century, virtually unlimited ways. But the, the fact is, is that you need to control the source of your income. Do it as a side hustle for right now until it starts to grow. And then you can make that, tra- that scary transition of, of firing your job, your, your boss, if you will, and uh, becoming your own boss and becoming your own business. I will tell you, it is not for the faint of heart. It is very, very tough. It takes a lot of time. Okay, a massive amount of time to do all this. I'm I'm speaking from experience. I'm currently doing this. It takes a lot of work. Things that don't seem like they should take very long, such as, you know, doing a podcast episode. Um, I got I have to go. This is an hour long podcast episode. I'm going to go have to edit that hour long podcast episode. And then I got to pump it out to all the different, you know, platforms. I've got to pump it out to my podcast website, Podbean, um, 
I'll put the link in the description below if you want to access that. And then I have to turn it into a video posted on YouTube. I got a backlog of episodes. I think only five episodes is on YouTube. I need all of my episodes on YouTube, but I have to create, I have to turn them into videos. Um, that's not the easy, it's easy, but it's, it, it takes a while. It's tedious. And then on top of that, you know, I gotta, I gotta create a custom background for it all. And yeah, it, it, it's tedious. And then I gotta pump the episodes out to Facebook, which has a different format in terms of how you submit your content than that of YouTube. Then I gotta submit it out to Twitter, which again has a different format of how you submit your content than Facebook and YouTube. Before you know it, there's a million one different places you gotta post your content to, and then there's Pinterest and a whole host of stuff. And the fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, it takes a lot of work. Content promotion is almost uh, is a full-time job of in itself. It takes a lot of time, just like content creation does. So it's not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that. If you want to go if you want to get started with the internet entrepreneur stuff like I'm doing, it's it's not for the faint of heart. And I'm doing two things. I'm managing my trading business or my future trading business. Right now I'm just inviting people on my journey to becoming financially free and to becoming a consistently profitable trader. But eventually I will actually be um, you know, charging money for actual trading courses and maybe even a signal service someday. It, I, I hope to build it into a trading business. And then I'm on top of that, I'm also doing my podcast. It, it all takes a very, very long time. It, it takes a lot. It's simple, but hard. It's not complicated. It's not, you know, it's very simple, but it's very hard to do. So it's not for the faint of heart, but I can tell you it is incredibly rewarding to know that you are going to one day control your destiny. You're going to be in control of your time. Heck, I don't have to go to a freaking boss and ask them for permission to go on vacation. I tell you what, it's like slavery by choice is what it is. And I, I genuinely do believe that. When you work for somebody else, it's, it's effectively slavery by choice. You're choosing to become a slave to somebody else so they can pay you money. Can't get out of that system. Not if you're going to continue to be hired by other people. You go into debt, now you're a slave to the banks. You know, the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Right? I, I Guys, I, I'm sorry if that offends you, but yeah, it, 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 that, that is modern day slavery today. It's slavery by choice. And it's sad that many people operate from it. And they do. It's a highly offensive thing to hear because the vast majority of people are in that boat. And there's like, how dare you call me a slave? How dare you say that I'm dependent on somebody else? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Well, how dare you for being so ignorant that you don't recognize it that way? How dare you for thinking and so arrogant to think that you're superior because your life is dependent on somebody else. Not my fault that because of your arrogance, because of your lack of education, because of your short-sightedness, that you can't see the truth. And the truth is that you are a slave to somebody else. If you are depending on them for your income, you are a slave to them. And it's not my fault that 
when that person can't pay you anymore, doesn't want to pay you anymore because of your political beliefs, because they can't afford to, whatever the reason is, you're out of a job. You no longer have any money. You spent most of it. You don't really have much in the way of savings. You know what? How dare you for not protecting your family and your livelihood? It's not how dare me. I'm just coming here telling you the truth. And that truth hurts. It, would, it does not benefit me very much to tell you the truth, aside from the fact that I am telling you the truth. It would benefit me more to continue to perpetuate a lie that most people believe in today that this is the way that things are done. You go to college, you get a job, you get good grades, you know, you, you get a nice job and you, 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 you become a wage slave for somebody else for long periods of time. That's, that's what everybody believes. It, would, it definitely would benefit me more to continue to preach that message because it's so widely adopted. That being said, though, ladies and gentlemen, look, you need to take control of the source of your income. And one of the best ways that you can do that is to increase your human capital by learning a new skill. And if you guys are interested in that, then go to Skillshare.com. I'll post the link in the description below. And ultimately, guys, it, you know, this Skillshare.com is a website, is a platform that you can go to that has hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of courses for you guys to learn all kinds of different things, whether that's leadership, whether that's internet marketing, whether it's email marketing, email copywriting, whether it's web design. I recently just did, just, uh, looked up and did a course for YouTube ads because I was, I'm getting into the YouTube ad space now. I'm going to start doing YouTube ads and stuff and whatnot and seeing how that goes. And you know, so and granted, I've used it for a whole host of other things, anywhere from email copywriting to website design, and I, there's tons of stuff. I mean, there's courses that teaches you how to fly a drone, for crying out loud. It's awesome what's on there. Guys, if you need a skill because you don't know what you would do if you were to start your own business, you need to go to Skillshare. You need to get some experiences down. You need to ultimately teach yourself a new skill. And then once you've acquired that skill, you can turn it into an information business. Teach other people that skill. Teach other people how to do what you learned and have put into practice and you have been doing for a certain set period of time. Make sure you're actually doing it, but use it. Get out there. Skillshare is dirt cheap. It's like $100 for an entire year. And in most cases, they're giving you a month, two months for free. So get out there. Go to Skillshare. Teach yourself a new skill. Take control of your life, your destiny, your future and become financially free. Take control of your income, your source of your income. And guys, if you really want to do this, there is another way, more so than just Skillshare. Okay? Learn how to become a Forex trader. Forex trading or stock trading, whatever it is, the principles that I teach on my YouTube channel at Matthew Spazzitti, um, or the the principles that, that, that you will learn from tier one trading, which we're about to talk about, they can be applied to any market. Learn how to trade. Learn how to put your money into the market and then draw more out. You don't have to deal with customers. You don't have to deal with clients. You don't have to deal with other 
companies for the most part. Now, I will tell you, it's you need a lot of money to be able to make that work. And if you don't have a lot of money, you need to find a way to make a lot of money. But theoretically speaking, you can make a lot of money with trading. But it is one of the best ways to become financially free. I'm on my journey to doing that currently. I'm now backtesting another currency pair to, to try and become profitable with. It's amazing. So guys, look, it's one of the best ways to become financially free. So you need to go, and if so if you're interested in that, go to Tier 1 Trading and check them out. They'll give you like a 14-day trial, I think. It's really, really, really great stuff, guys. They won't turn you down a wrong path. I say that all the time. They're absolutely amazing. They're honest. They will tell you straight up how it really works. And they won't just teach you a strategy. They will teach you how to create your own strategy. They'll teach you strategies, but they will teach you how to create your own. They will teach you the art and the skill of trading. They will take all the confusing, or at least they will take all the confusing things about trading out of it. Okay. They really will. And if you're interested in free trading content, you don't want to pay any money for it. Go check out my uh, YouTube channel, Matthew Spazzi. I talk about trading all the time and it's all free. So best way to learn trading, start off there. That's the, that was the whole point of it is to get people started with the basics. And then if you want to learn more of the intense stuff, go to tier one trading. Also guys, your wealth is largely based off your reputation and what people are willing to pay for your reputation. Okay? Whether you become wealthy or not, it's based off that. That's what defines whether or it determines whether or not you become a one percenter or not. It's really the reputation that you've built for yourself. Another way of saying this is your personal brand, but that's a term that's being heavily and overly used today that I'd rather not use that term. It's also kind of got a dirty connotation to it, I guess. But, you know, your reputation... And your, and your company's reputation is ultimately what drives your success. And if you want to create a business, you need to learn how to grow a strong reputation with your, with your customers, with people. You need to learn how to grow that trust and ultimately become a household name to them. And the best way to do that, guys, is to create a very strong personal brand to create a very strong reputation and there's only one person i know out there who's really good at doing this that's jason stapleton guys he's taught me how to do virtual almost everything that i know how to do today he's absolutely amazing you know before him i i i was normal <laughs> you know i guess i was i was a plebeian i wanted to uh you know just get a job and then he taught me that you need to not get a job. You need to become a business owner. You need to become an entrepreneur. You need to take control of the source of your income. That that's the number one most important thing that you can do. You know, he actually originally taught me how to do Forex trading. He was, uh, he was one of the mentors that actually got me started on that. Granted, I've never actually met the guy, never even talked to the guy. I've just taken courses and listened to his podcasts. But he really is a truly amazing teacher and mentor. And he will teach you everything that you need to know. Guys, he's he has created multi-million dollar businesses. He ha I mean, he has. He's made a ton of money. He knows how to do this and how to do it the right way. He knows how you can create yourself an amazing reputation with people and he knows how you can ultimately become wealthy 
without it having the dirty connotation to it. He'll teach you how to sell without actually having to go to anybody and trying to pitch them a product. No, no, no. He'll teach you how to get that person to come to you and say, hey, I want what you have. And you don't, that's the best way to sell. It doesn't even feel like selling. Right? He'll teach you how to sell product without actually selling in the traditional sense, which everyone hates. So guys, I'll put the link in the description below, and if you're interested in this, go there, click on the link. It will take you to the iconic personal brand mastery course. This is his premier course. It really is a really good, amazing course, and it, it's going to help teach you how to create a personal brand that is going to allow you to take control over the source of your income, which is the most important thing that you can do for your life. So guys, hey, if you if you decide to do that, you know, I greatly appreciate it. You know, one of the best, it's one of the highest compliments you can offer me. If you decide to go and utilize one of these great products and services, guys, it, it really does mean a lot to me. And uh, it, it not only allows me to do this show full time, you know, it, it, it also basically just, it, it mutually benefits both of us. Not only do you get a great course, a great product, but you also help me in funding and giving me the ability to do what I'm doing. So guys, it is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. And hey, thank you for being here. If you like the show and you're watching this on YouTube or wherever you are, make sure to hit that like button, smash it as hard as you can, because the more you like, the more you comment, it, it looks better on the search engines. And also on top of that, make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you are, whether that is Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, wherever, make sure to like and subscribe. It helps me out. And on top of all that, hey, you will get notified anytime I post a, an episode or anything of the sort. And guys, the, if you guys continue to come back each and every day to listen to me, look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. You will be the most well-educated person around the water cooler. You will be, not just around the water cooler, but wherever you know, you're going to be one of the most well-educated people. You're going to understand economics. You're going to understand business. You're going to understand so much. And I'm not trying to brag. I genuinely believe that's true. Guys, I got a lot of knowledge. And I want to give it to you. Okay? I want to help you. I want to help you to become financially free. I want to help you to understand why you need to become financially free. And if nothing else, at least you you understand the risks. And that oven in itself is important. So if, if you don't want to start your own business, at least you understand the risks associated with not doing so and the risks to you and your family. And I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom kind of guy. I hate doom and gloom stuff. But I'm just trying to get you to real understand what the risks really are. So that said, guys, hey, if you liked it, don't just, you know, hit the like button and hit the subscribe button or follow, but also make sure to share the show. Guys, I'm trying to grow a community of people. I'm trying to grow this message of financial freedom, of personal empowerment to as many people that are will I can that are willing to listen. I'm trying to grow that message. I think it's an empowering message. I think that it will really change it could change the world. I really think it's my higher calling, if you will, to get people to take control of the source of their income and to ultimately control their lives, control their destinies. So many people are too stressed working for somebody else. If you're going to be stressed anyways, 
work for yourself. At least you have the hope that you won't always be stressed. You can eventually pass off that stress to somebody else and kick back and just start collecting money. Or maybe you've made all the money you want. You just want to invest either way. And now you can invest and live off the dividend payments or live off your trading, whatever it is you want to do, or maybe live off rental properties. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, you control it. It's yours. You control the source of your income, so you control your destiny, you control your time and your future. We give far too much away to businesses. We give far too much time to them, time that should be devoted to our families and our lives. And we give way too much, and I don't think we get anywhere near enough back is why I highly encourage you that if you like this message, share it. More people need to hear it. Okay? Share it with a friend. Share it with three people. One one person you think is going to love it. The other person you're not so sure about. And then the other person you're pretty sure may not like it. But share it with three people. Try to do that. And guys, you know, and if, and if you don't want to share it directly, then just, hey, reshare the content. Post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook, reshare, retweet, do whatever, whatever, guys. But get help me get this message of financial empowerment out to as many people as we possibly can. We'll change the world. I truly believe that. We will change the world. So anyways, guys, hey, if you'll do all that for me, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Love you guys. And uh, yeah. See you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.